Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. There's so many things people believe that just aren't so. If you got nothing else from this podcast, I want to teach you how to hear the lie. It's always delivered by our media with a look, with a cadence, with a tell. After a while, you don't even have to have the facts to know they're lying. You'll feel it in your bones. Like people who live in authoritarian regimes. The way they get their news, they read between the lines. They get very good at it. Ask one of them if you ever run into them. They can tell what's going on just by reading the lie. I want to teach you to do the same. So let's get started. Here's five big things right now that most people believe that simply aren't so. Number one, CDC Director Rochelle Walensky crying on national television about the upward boost in COVID and Joe Biden following that up with an Emmy-winning performance, begging the American people, please, we've seen a slight uptick in COVID. Go back to the lockdowns, the masks, the shutdowns, the economic devastation. But here's what Rochelle Walensky Our CDC director and Joe Biden either don't know or don't want you to know. The authoritarian states, the heavy lockdown states, the states with the heavy mask mandates have the worst death tolls per capita and have straight through this whole thing. Who has the worst death toll per million? New Jersey, followed by number two, New York. Number three, Rhode Island, hardcore lockdown state there. Number four, Massachusetts, yep. Mississippi is five. You're thinking red state, yes. But they followed the blue state hardcore lockdown regime. Then Arizona, then Connecticut. In fact, you don't even get to a free state like South Dakota that did not lock down until you get one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight states in. Which means CDC Director Rochelle Walensky lied to you when she begged you to lock back down. Here's what she didn't tell you. Those states that are seeing a resurgent COVID are a little bit. So it's not much. It's 12% increase in COVID over what it was the week before. They're all hardcore blue lockdown states. She was begging the states that aren't seeing the surge to lock down like the states that are. Does that make any scientific sense? No, but it's what most people don't know. Here, I'll prove it to you using data from a mainstream media source, NPR. They broke states down into the 11 places that have the highest COVID-19 risk level right now. This is dated March 30th. What were those states? To listen to Rochelle Walensky and Joe Biden's Emmy-winning performances, you would think it was Texas and Florida and Georgia, my state of South Carolina, which are plumb open right now, but it's not. In fact, she was begging those states to shut back down when in actuality, according to NPR, the 11 places currently at the highest COVID-19 risk, the 11 places that have the highest new case thresholds 
are New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Delaware, Connecticut, Massachusetts, Vermont, New Hampshire, Rhode Island, Michigan, and Minnesota. All also the hardest core lockdown states. They all have 25 or more daily new cases per 100,000. What about the states she's begging to lock down again? Well, they're actually doing much better. Yep, they fall into NPR's orange or yellow category of anywhere between 1 and 24 new cases per 100,000 people. In other words, she's asking the states with the best results to copy the states with the worst results. And that can't possibly be science. But she's playing on the big lie everyone believes that lockdowns and masks actually work when what we've seen is that the states that employ them the most heavily do the worst. The number two biggest lie everyone believes right now with the Derek Chauvin trial that George Floyd died of suffocation. He did not. He had a bad heart and he died of a heart episode. Contrary to what most people believe, the autopsy shows none of the classic signs of asphyxiation, which you'd expect if he died because he was strangled or his airway was cut off. It wasn't cut off. In fact, the autopsy shows there was no damage at all to his airway. But why don't most people know that? That story is a stunning one. In the days after the video came out and after George Floyd's death, there was tremendous pressure by the rioters and the looters and the leaders on local leadership to charge the cops involved. It was pure racism that the officers hadn't been charged yet. So they didn't wait for all the reports to come back from the medical examiner's testing lab. Instead, on May 29th, they went ahead and charged Derek Chauvin with murder, not bothering to wait for the toxicology report. When it came back on May 31st, two days later, the proverbial fecal matter hit the fan. The toxicology report showed a lot of things, namely that he had nearly three times the fatal limit of fentanyl in his system. That night, the night the toxicology report came out, May 31st, a panicked meeting was held between Dr. Andrew Baker, the chief medical examiner of Hennepin County, and prosecutors to discuss the problem. Or shall I say, problems. George Floyd had had a classic drug overdose. His lungs, according to his autopsy, were two to three times their normal weight. That's because they were filled with fluid. And Mr. Floyd also had foam around his mouth. It's why he couldn't breathe and why he kept saying he couldn't breathe before the officers ever touched him while he was standing straight up. Why? Because the lung fluid and the foaming are classic signs of fentanyl overdose. In the meeting, they all clearly panicked. They'd already declared this a homicide and charged the officers. The situation was so bad that the medical examiner, Dr. Baker, wrote, quote, in a memo, if Floyd had been found dead in his home or anywhere else, and there were no other contributing factors, he would conclude it was an overdose death. Why? Because it was an overdose death. Worse yet, Officer Derek Chauvin had acted exactly as he was trained to act. He was to apply the knee to the neck in that particular neck hold in cases of drug overdose. He had done exactly what he was trained to do. But for nine minutes, 
Yep, the goal is to render the suspect unconscious in cases of drug overdose. They had a problem. They had radically screwed up. They had jumped the gun, charged these guys with homicide, and hadn't bothered to wait for the toxicology report as the streets in Minneapolis and across the country burned. What they should have done was admit their mistake, held a press conference, put out the toxicology report, and explained what had happened to the public. But they did not. They buried it instead. Hid it from the public while the streets burned. There was half a billion, with a B, half a billion dollars worth of damage in Minneapolis alone. And they hid that toxicology report until deep into August. By then, the country had sustained upwards of $2 billion worth of damage from riots. And 2,037 officers had been injured, including several killed and one who is still on life support as a vegetable in Las Vegas after being shot execution style in the back of the head by a Black Lives Matter protester. A better question is why the charges against the officers weren't immediately dropped, why the prosecutors and the medical examiner colluded to hide a report from the public that should have been available within days after that autopsy was concluded. I know. I'm a crime reporter. I pulled autopsies all the time. Those things usually come out within just a couple of days, yet they hid it for months helping the Democrats to win nationally, which I'm sure was the goal, and allowing the country to be torn to bits and allowing it to be brainwashed and burned into the public's head that George Floyd had somehow been killed in a suffocation incident, none of which is true. I often wonder, how do these people manage to just sit by watching the cities burn night after night, watching the store owners with tears running down their faces, knowing the whole time the whole thing was a lie, that they were withholding the toxicology report? I don't know. Some people just aren't wired like we are. Up next, the third big lie most people believe right now. Welcome back. Here's the third big lie most people believe right now. That COVID came from a bat, or a bat at a wet market, or a bat and then a wet market, or no, it came from a lab. And though it takes a lot of courage, more and more people are saying so. I understand why. I was in Facebook jail for three days for reporting it two weeks ago. That was before former CDC director Robert Redfield said the same thing. Now, they won't shut up about it. Who? The people who know. Namely, the top inspector for the State Department. He's the former leader of the State Department's task force investigating the origins of COVID-19. And he's back in the news again. His name is David Asher. And he insists that the Wuhan Institute of Virology developed it. Quote, he says in the New York Post, it was operating a secret classified program. In my view, my view, it was a biological weapons program. This isn't just any guy. He's been the lead researcher for the State Department for years and uncovered nuclear programs and other high-level things. He's quite famous for it across both Democrat and Republican administrations. And he contends that COVID came out of the WIV, the Wuhan Institute of Virology. The lab smack in the middle of China's outbreak zone. Here's what else David Asher says. 
The lab was operating a secret classified program. My view is that it was a biological weapons program. Now, he, like the former CDC director, says that he can't prove it was deliberately released. But who told us that China had these programs, that they were working on bad viruses, and that they planned to weaponize us, weaponize them? China did, as Asher points out. Since 2007, the Chinese government has been writing publicly about developing bioweapons using controversial, quote, gain of function, unquote, research to make the viruses more lethal. That's the New York Post. They've been bragging about that. And at one point, Chinese communist officials were open about the fact that they have they hope to use these bioweapons as a weapon to get the financial, the fiscal, the economic upper hand, which they ultimately would. In fact, New York Post reports the former president of China's National Defense University actually wrote in his 2017 book, War's New High Ground, that biotechnology would enable the development of, get this, genetically engineered pathogens that target specific ethnicities. In fact, as Asher reports, the first cluster of COVID cases actually occurred among Wuhan lab personnel in the fall of 2019. Yep people who worked there. And even worse, Major General Chen Wei herself, the head of the People's Liberation Army's bioweapons research program, rushed down to Wuhan to deal with it. Why? Because she knew it escaped from the lab where the Chinese military had been working on gain of function. What's that? Teaching the virus to jump from bats to humans, a process that normally takes hundreds of years. There's even more evidence, and it's devastating. Like Chinese whistleblower Dr. Yan Li Ming, who fled China last April. She was the first to point out that the virus's closest cousin is actually a bat coronavirus originally isolated by, guess who, the Chinese People's Liberation Army as part of, guess what, that very bioweapons program they announced in 2007. The one, again, they said that ultimately might help them to get the upper hand in the world financially. The lab origin theory has received support from other scientists, too, including Dr. Stephen Quay, who is taught at Stanford Medical School and concludes beyond a reasonable doubt that the virus did not come from nature, but is laboratory derived. You think? Why is this so important? Why are we even talking about it? It's over. Well, it's not. The Chinese have bragged in their propaganda videos that they have isolated in bat caves thousands of these viruses, that they've cataloged more than any other government on the planet. What does that say to me? This was awfully successful for them. Will they do it again? Will they release something worse? That's why punishing them, confronting them on this is so important. But unfortunately, the Biden administration, shockingly, has no plans to do that. In fact, their only plan, as laid out in this unbelievable clip by the Secretary of State of the United States of America, Tony Blinken, is simply to assume another one is coming and prepare for it. Even Dana Bash, who was interviewing him here on CNN, can't believe it. You mean you're not going to do anything, she says? And he doubles down. Nope, not beyond preparing for a new one. How an administration that won't even close our open borders, plans to be prepared for the next one is a mystery. Take a listen here. 
to this incredible exchange. You said at your confirmation hearing, Mr. Secretary, that you believe the Chinese government misled the world about coronavirus. Given that, and the millions of people, of course, who have died around the world, should China be punished for that? The issue for us is to make sure that we do everything possible to prevent another pandemic, even as we're working through this one, uh, or at the very least to make sure that we can mitigate uh, in much more effective ways any damage done if something happens in the future. And a big part of that is making sure that we have a, a system in place, including with the World Health Organization, that uh, features transparency, that features information sharing, that features access for international experts at the start of something like this. Uh, and that's where I think China, like uh, every other country, has real obligations that it needs to make good on. So I think what we need to be focused on is making sure we're protecting ourselves and protecting the world going forward. That sounded like a no when it comes to repercussions for what happened in the past, uh, and maybe even that's happening currently, which is uh, the damage that is being done around the world because of this pandemic. No repercussions? No punishment? Look, I think that we've got a re there's a report coming out shortly by the World Health Organization. We've got real concerns about the methodology and the process that went into that report, uh, including the fact that uh, the, the government in Beijing apparently helped uh, to write it. But let's see what comes out uh, in that report. Uh, but we do need to have uh, both accountability for the past, but I think our focus needs to be on building a stronger system for the future. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Up next, after this break, the fourth and fifth biggest lies people believe right now. Welcome back. Here's number four. That FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, was a country saver. Yep, with his New Deal. That was a massive spending blitz in the 30s. That resulted in an income tax rate of 70% in the name of fairness. Why do you care? Because they're about to do it again on a much bigger scale than even FDR did. The problem with that is the spending during that period was the highest ever. We are in the process of eclipsing that right now, with Joe Biden now talking about $4 trillion for his next package after $2 trillion for the last one. That's just one of the lies people believe right now, that we can spend trillions of dollars we don't have without any repercussions. But when you only have a $20 trillion economy and you already owe an economy and a half, that's right, we owe almost $30 trillion, spending like this is mathematically impossible. It simply can't be done. Yet bizarrely, that's not the debate we're having. There should be some people up there, liberals and conservatives, simply asking how mathematically could this amount of money even be spent if you want to know how bizarre this level of spending is, I mean, in terms of all of human history, listen to Thursday's podcast called This Hilarious Admission Shows the U.S. Has Jumped the Shark. We have financially. But that's not the big lie people believe right now. No, the big lie is that FDR's spending worked. It actually didn't. The problem is Joe Biden is getting ready to copy it. 
They're telling the Biden administration, everyone who will listen, including the Wall Street Journal, that they intend to go big to copy FDR and to spend even more than he did. How'd that work out? Well, when they started the spending, the unemployment rate was at or above 15%. That's what they're trying to battle right now. High unemployment rate from COVID. But after the blizzard of taxing and spending that ended with income rates in the 70 percentage range, which is where we're going to have to end, there simply isn't enough money to do this. The rich don't even have enough money to do all this. Where'd they end up? With an unemployment rate at 18%. It is arguably the single greatest historical lie in American history. The myth that has prevailed for about 80 years that the New Deal worked. It didn't. As the New York Post explains this morning, the last president who tried to copy FDR was Lyndon Johnson in the 1960s. He had a big spending push, too, although much smaller as a percentage of our economy, you know, than the one Biden's trying right now, which will total somewhere between seven and nine trillion dollars this year. You heard that right. Seven and nine trillion dollars this year. Our whole economy is only 20 trillion. So Lyndon Johnson didn't go anywhere near as far as Biden is planning to go, which is farther than FDR did. But how did it work when Johnson tried it? Not so good. He did it in the 60s and he wound up giving America the stagflation and double digit inflation of the 1970s. The Fed, it seems, has already accepted this, that it's coming when they last week volunteered. And you can get this again in that same podcast from Thursday. This hilarious admission shows the U.S. has jumped the shark when they just volunteered that they're no longer going to do inflation projections anymore. They'll just do a daily toll of where we are. What are they saying? We're not going to tell you how bad the inflation is until the day that we arrive at really bad inflation when it's too late to do anything about it. And finally, the last big lie that people believe that there was some collusion or even some connection between Trump and the Russians. We now know that isn't the case. This is actually a massive bombshell story, which is why you're not going to see the mainstream media report it. What's just come to light? A secret classified admission by FBI supervisory intelligence analyst Brian Auten. This is bombshell level stuff. He was in charge of the group of people who were in charge of finding evidence of Russian collusion to present to the FISA court to get the warrant to wiretap Trump, but not just Trump. Nope. Wiretap Carter Page with two jumps, meaning they could spy on not only everyone around Carter Page, it would jump and be everyone around Trump. Ultimately, so many people with the jumps that they could spy on the whole Republican Party. Well, it just came out that he did an interview with the Senate Judiciary Committee in October of 2020, in which he admitted they had nothing, as in less than nothing. In fact, the whole Steele dossier was fake, and they knew it. The only things that were correct, he told members of the U.S. Senate, were the names and titles held by the persons mentioned in the document. That's key, because the Steele dossier was the key piece of evidence used to get those warrants. There were no other pieces of evidence. In other words, everything that the FBI ever told you about Russiagate and their minions from their leaders 
to their ex-agents were on television every night pushing this collusion theory. It was all fake. But they didn't just lie to you. They lied to the FISA court. That's perjury. It's a felony. Carries up to five years in prison. When did he tell us this again? Oh, in October. You mean the month before the election? When this coming out would have helped Trump? Mm-hmm. And who was in charge of the Senate and the Senate Judiciary Committee at the time? Republicans. You mean they held it under wraps? Yep. They voted to classify it. Wait, shouldn't somebody go to jail for that? Mm-hmm. Is this a chargeable offense? Yep. All the leaders of the FBI at the time and the Department of Justice signed those FISA warrants under penalty of perjury that they had verified that the dossier was accurate. In other words, they lied and they knew it. Their top analyst was telling them the opposite. We now know that. It's an absolute bombshell. To read more about it and help debunk the lie that Trump ever had anything of any significance to do with Russia, you can read that article by one of my favorite authors and investigative reporters, Paul Sperry, in Real Clear Investigations. It's called Meet the Russiagate Prober, who couldn't verify anything in the Steele dossier, yet said nothing for years. Can you imagine sitting there in your living room as the president is tarred night in and night out, night in and night out, and you watch the leadership of the FBI lie on national television and do nothing about it? By the way, Brian Auten admitted they had known, the FBI knew there was no there there with Russiagate since 2017, and he admitted it to the Senate Judiciary Committee under oath. What's the takeaway from all this, folks? Question your reality. So much of it is fake. Thank you for listening to today's Battlegrounds America podcast. Please subscribe and share with like-minded, freedom-loving people everywhere. Battleground America with Tara Servatius. Please subscribe on radio.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Be sure to share with your friends and family. Thank you for listening. in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 